Uh, good morning, Freedom Center. Good to see you. Good morning, live stream audience. I hope our internet's still working. I hope Pastor Jason hasn't broken that too, as he did the gas line earlier today. So I, yesterday, one quick reminder, the core and commitment will continue tonight. If you're new to the church, you want to know who we are, what we believe, where we're going, I personally um, teach those classes along with a couple other people that are wonderful teachers. Six weeks from now, you'll know everything you need to know. You can enter anytime you want. It's a six-week rotating class. I think this is week four tonight. So week four, you'll just stick around till week three, and it's a, it's a great thing. So week, week three, you'll graduate. So go through four, five, six, one, two, three. And we hope that you'll come and join us tonight. So there's a, there's a question that we started with three weeks ago during an ice storm, by the way. How many of you guys are glad spring finally sprung? My nose isn't, but the rest of me is so glad, you know. Um, and the question was this. Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And, and I think if you're not careful, you can, you can glare over what really is a, an instrumental moment, not just in Peter's life, which it certainly was, but, but in mankind's history. Peter just blurts out, you're the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the prophesied one, you're the Messiah, you're the one that, that everyone was talking about, all the prophets, all the kings have been pointing towards this one event, this one person, this one thing, and, and I know who it is, Jesus, it's, it's you, like you're God, you're, you're not just a teacher, you're not just a rabbi, you're not just a miracle worker, you're, you're not just a, a wise guy, you're, you're like, you're, you're, you're God, and this is what Jesus says, he said, blessed are you, Peter. Son of Jonas, because, because you saw this, because God showed it to you. You heard this because God spoke to you. Understand that when this is happening, Jesus is just about to be crucified. And imagine what a relief it would be for him to see finally, after 33 years, three years with fishermen and tax collectors, finally someone can hear his voice besides me. Finally, someone's heart is in tune enough that when God broadcasts commandments or revelation, the heart of man is now hearing the heart of God. It's a beautiful, important, blessed are you, Peter. Now, the next minute, he says, you, you shouldn't be crucified. Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. So there's still some issues to be worked out. But, but he finally, like, there's the potential. You know his voice. And he says this to him. He, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, Peter is, is um, Petros, it's a, it's a pebble. I'm, on this, I can hold it in my hand, I can throw it at somebody. You are a pebble. And on this rock, this, this mammoth cliff, this unmovable object, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, or Hades, the realm of the dead, will not overcome it. Death no longer has mastery on the earth to those who have the revelation of who I am. Amen. Are you hearing this? So there's this shift in one person's life that goes from not just being forgiven, but in covenant relationship through revelation of who Jesus really is. Now, as we talked about this, we talked about the real competing issue in our culture today is, is 1,500 years later, there's the Reformation, Martin Luther, and when they go to, to translate this verse in uh, uh, Matthew 16, 18, they come to that place where I will build my, and the word there is ecclesia, and it means if I said to this group, hey, everybody stand up and come up here on the platform, they heard my voice with their free will, they obeyed that voice, and they came into my presence where I was. That was what an ecclesia was. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, they, they unfortunately use the Germanic term kirch, which by then had been so thoroughly um, soaked and marinated in tradition, in culture, in exclusive language. I mean, kirch was basically the thing that you did at the place at the time with the guy with the stuff. 
and, and there was no laity. There was no people that volunteered to do stuff. There was the priesthood, and there was the, there was the, the, the average you know, postulant that came and received communion. But, it, but if I didn't forgive you, you weren't forgiven. And it was just, it had come a long, long, long ways from what Jesus was talking about. So when Jesus says, I'm going to make you a promise, here it is. I'm going to build something. It, it doesn't necessarily have to meet in a building. I'm going to build something. It, it, yes, it will have clergy. Yes, it will have laity. Yes, it will have people. But I'm going to build something. And on the rock of who I am, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that will be what holds it all together. That will be its foundation. That will be its walls. That will be its boundaries. That will be its ceiling. That will be its floor. What I'm building is made out of people who know who I am. Now, here's the problem. Because we're now 2,000, 2,100 years into this process, we have a lot of traditions, and if you're not careful, you will mistake the church, the place and the time and the stuff with the people that do the junk, right, with the ecclesia, which is a living, breathing, following organism. Listen, if you, are, if you have a, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he should always be in front of you going somewhere. And the church, unfortunately, say, come here and do this thing, and, and okay, now check the box, you're good with God. Let me tell you something, coming to a place at a time to do a thing doesn't make you right with God. What makes you in a relationship is relationship, not, not attendance. I went to school for 13 years. I was not in a relationship with the school. I was there to check the box. I was there to get my D minus. I was tired of people telling me what to do, so I joined the army, and it seemed like a good idea, right? Now, how do we know if we ourselves or, or what we're involved in is a church because I think there's symptoms of church if we're not careful. There, there's promises of ecclesia that we even in curses. So I, I want us to take a minute, like, what, what would be an acid test for us to understand where our own hearts are at, where, where this church is at, where this church is going? I mean, are we following Jesus because he's going somewhere, or are we just kind of gathering to sing the song that we like with the leader that we like at the time that we, we prefer, at the volume that we like? Or they, they, you know, it's kind of so there's another one down, so I'm going to go to this one down the road because this one has a product I like. But like, be very careful what your relationship is with, with the church because God, I, this is a warning, but I'm not, I'm not trying to intimidate you. I'm not trying to scare you, but let's be sober about this. Never treat holy things as if they're common. And if there is a holy thing on this earth, it's the bride of Christ, also known as the ecclesia. Let's be very careful about our own hearts. Let me be very careful with you. Please be very careful with each other. Let's be very careful about what the Freedom Center is because if it is a church, Jesus never promised to do anything. But if it's an ecclesia, a 2,000-year-old promise is exclusively for those who will follow a rabbi who's still moving. Are you still here? So what would this, what the, there, there seems to be a fruit that is ever-present when it's an ecclesia that's ever absent when it's a church. There seems to be this. Everybody say this. There's, there's this special sauce that seems to be there or is lacking uh, if it's not. There, this one thing cannot be faked for very long. It can be faked momentarily. Scripture tells us that. But within just a few you know, days, weeks, months, it's exposed as fraudulent. What could this possibly be? Now, don't get up and leave. And, and like I said before, we put responsibility up there. We put, I'm going to put another word up there that sometimes we don't like, but I hope that by the end of this message day, you realize that, that we had a misguided concept of some of the greatest fruit that God has for our lives because it felt like it was heavy or weighty or cost us something. That word is the word generosity. And you're like, oh, I'm here on the Sunday where it's the giving sermon. Uh, a, if you feel that way, you should get saved. B, wouldn't it be great to only have one Sunday? You know what I mean? 
but I think you're going to see by the end of this that like the word responsibility actually is a door that leads to blessing. So is, is the, the, the mindset that I'm not here for me and you're not here for me and this is not here for me. I'm here for this. God has sent me as a tool. God has sent me as a gift. God has sent me as a, as a, a carrier of presence. God has sent me as a learner so that I can be a teacher. God has sent me. God has sent you for all those things. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do. Everybody say do. Not, not to sit. Not to just be. But there really is a fruitfulness to your life once you engage responsibilities, once you engage covenant, once you walk in obedience rather than convenience. There is a fruitfulness that is available to everyone in the ecclesia. See, man, I thought God's blessings would make my life easy. Well, God's blessings do maketh a man rich and adds no sorrow to it. But you'll understand wherever God's blessing is, greater responsibility comes with it. If you want to live a free, happy, healthy, you know, life of liberty and so forth, you've got you to embrace responsibility. Who is happier, the irresponsible husband or the responsible husband? By the way, Mother's Day is next week. Let me ask you again. Who is happier, the responsible husband or the irresponsible husband? Who's happier when they're 75? The one who responsibly held, handled their money or the one that irresponsibly handled it? Guys, this is simple. Who's happier, the responsible farmer who plants and plows and fertilizes and weeds and waters or the one that goes, eh, if God's God, I'll have a harvest? You will. Dandelions. You better learn to eat dandelions, right? So we're going to talk about this today. Um, we're going to use the story of Philemon, and I, I never do this, but open your Bible if you would. I'm going to read it off my own phone because it's lengthy, and I didn't want 18 slides. I'm going to read this out of the message translation. It's most of the entire book of Philemon. Now, it's only a one-chapter book. It'll take me three minutes. Can you guys invest three minutes into a story? Okay, once upon a time. Here we go. I'll just give you a little back story. Onesimus is, uh, is a slave, and he doesn't like his life as a slave, so he robs from his master both by taking what he needed to get out of town and by taking himself as property out from underneath the authority of his master. Um, he escapes into the streets of Rome where there's a million people and public toilets, and he's never going to be found. Well, eventually he runs into a guy named Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul the Apostle. And through the interaction they have, he, he makes the same good confession that Peter did. That through Paul's teaching, he goes, oh, oh, oh. So Jesus is more than just, I've heard of him, but what is he? And he goes, he's the Christ, didn't he? He's the son. Wow, I get it. He's the son of the living God. He's, he's God in a bod. I, I see that now. And he becomes a believer. Well, he becomes so useful and helpful and so forth to, uh, to Paul. Um, and he becomes like a, a, a person that's really tailor-made. You know, he's in and out of the jail. He's, he's helping him. Paul's a prisoner by this time. And then Paul writes three letters, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon, which we'll be reading here in just a moment. And he sends Onesimus to this town to deliver the, this letter to a guy named Philemon. Now, here's the kicker. You guys ready? Philemon is the owner of Onesimus that he robbed and ran away from. And so this isn't theology anymore. This is you stole my car. This is you, you, you punched my mama in the mouth. This is you cost me. You lied to me. I came and found you gone and my money was gone too. I trusted you in my household and, and you, you robbed for me. Well, this guy's going to show up at his doorstep with three letters and a smile on his face and he hasn't seen him in years. Now, let me read you what's going on here. This is what Paul writes now to Philemon who, who has been wronged by Onesimus who robbed him and left. He says, every time your name comes up in my prayers, I say, oh, thank you, God. He is buttering the toast really heavy. 
He says, I, I keep hearing of the love and the faith you have for the master Jesus, which brims over to other believers. And I keep praying that this faith we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things we do and that people recognize Christ in all of it. Friend, you have no idea how good your love makes me feel. Doubly so when I see your hospitality towards fellow believers. How many of you guys know the jelly's on the toast now too, right? He goes, in line with all of this, I have one favor to ask of you. As Christ's ambassador and now a prisoner for him, I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought it necessary, but I'd rather make it a personal request. By the authority given to me by Jesus Christ, I could command you to do this because it's right. But I'm going to ask you to do it for me as a favor. While here in jail, I fathered a child, so to speak. And here he is, hand-carrying this letter, Onesimus. He was useless to you before. Now he's useful to both us, uh, to both of us. And I'm sending him back to you. But it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. I wanted in the worst way to keep him here as, you, as your stand-in to help out while I'm in jail for the message. But I didn't want to do anything behind your back. I didn't want to, like, make you do a good deed that you hadn't willingly agreed to do. So maybe it's all for the best that you lost him for a while, getting him back now for good. And no mere slave this time, but a true Christian brother. That's what he was to me, and he'll be even more so to you. So if you still consider me a comrade in arms, welcome him back as you would me. This is not manipulative, but it it is requiring great generosity, right? If he damaged anything or owes you anything, chalk it up to my account. This is my personal signature, Paul, and I stand behind it. Now, in parentheses here, in the the English translation, he says this, I don't need to remind you, do I, that you owe me your very life. Just thought I'd throw that in. (laughs) Do me this big favor, friend. You'll be doing it for Christ, but will also do my heart good. I, I know you well enough to know that you probably will. You'll probably go far beyond what I've written. And by the way, get a room ready for him because of your prayers. I fully expect to be your guest again soon. He won't be. He's going to be executed in Rome. But it's nice to say, and, and if you don't do it, just remember, I might knock at your door soon. Isn't this a great letter? This, this is a great letter. And you may say, that seems manipulative. I, I, if, if any point were not true, it could be manipulative, but it's not manipulative. And the culture allowed for more bold speech during those days than, than maybe we'd feel comfortable with. Understand this, guys. Um, There is a point, and I said all that to say this, there's a point where Christianity has to be more than theology and tradition. It has to be more than what I I know I'm supposed to believe to what I can actually do. Um, And this is one of those moments in Christian history, in church history, where a person who was going to be entrusted with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon was going to be hand, and if he just said, I don't want that for you, jailer, come get it. Like, we would have lost Scripture over this. But instead, we don't know really what happened, but we, we know what happened because we know, and here, we know what happened because we know what Jesus was happening inside of them. Th- there was a trust amongst early believers because their life was on the line. It wasn't popular. There wasn't a Christian radio station. There, there was no prosperity gospel. There was no, it, it was like, if you accept Christ, be prepared to die for him. Anybody want Jesus? Like that was the, the, the message of the cross was not a figure of speech It was a literal risking your life to follow Jesus. So people who followed him had a revelation. That revelation was simple. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of the living God. Once they knew that, everything else was cat hair. Are you still here? Been talking a lot. You guys okay? All right. So so understand this. Um, Where we find ecclesia, we can expect to find other things. And this is the test I was talking about a moment ago. Where, Where these things are absent, it is okay to ask, is this just a church? If it's a church, there's an absence of grace, there's an absence of blessing, there's an absence of abundance and generosity. There's, there's a lot of things missing. 
There's no concern. There's no care for the least of these, the widows, the orphans. It's just, I care about me, and that's what I care about. And I come here because I, I, me, my. And all of a sudden, like, it becomes something it was never created to be. We're, we're not coming. Oh, I can't say that. It's going to make a, a puppy nipple illustration, which probably you can say nipple in church. I don't even have another one. I'm stuck on nipple. Sorry, we'll just move on. You're, you're going to find some things in the Ecclesia. So let's take a look. What do we find? Number one, we find, we find generous mercy. Because those who've been forgiven much love much, Luke 17, and love keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13. The, Jesus said, hey, listen, you know, those who've been forgiven much love much. Paul said, you know, love keeps no record of wrong. And, and, and the Holy Spirit wrote both of, those, both of those lines in the Scripture. There's a generosity and mercy. And I, I want you to think of this. By sending a runaway slave back to his master, Paul was risking his right arm and, and his son in the faith. By, by Onesimus going back to Philemon, he's risking his life and his freedom. Paul's risking financially because, okay, I'll take him back. But if he's going to be free, you have to pay for his freedom, which was like half a lifetime's wages. Plus, if he stole from you, it was half a lifetime's wages plus whatever it was stolen with interest up to seven times what was stolen. And if it wasn't repaid, then the thief on the cross gives us a good example of what happens to thieves in the Roman day. People who can't repay debts go to prison, debtor's prison. In other words, Paul is saying, I, I, he is me and me is him. And if, if you treat him a certain way, then treat him as you would treat me. And I will be, if he owes you money, put it on my tab. I will cover. Now, he's in prison. He's not going to get a part-time job at 7-Eleven. But there's such trust. Hear me. There's such trust in the generosity of mercy. And how can there possibly be such a trust in the generosity of mercy? This is my answer. Where there's ecclesia, the only way people got from over there to over here was to receive such a generous mercy that now they had it to be withdrawn from. If I come up to you and I say, Pastor Kim, give me a million dollars, Pastor Kim's going to say... Sorry, I don't have it. Because no deposit has been made, no withdrawal is possible. But where we expect Jesus to have forgiven great sin, because there's only one kind of sin. It's great. The smallest of sins, whatever that might be, separates the holiest of people from the presence of God eternally, unless Jesus comes and pays for that sin, which he has by his blood on the cross. Are you listening to me? Because when we recognize we've been forgiven much and that love keeps no record of wrongs, when we are commanded to forgive, there's a generosity in the culture of mercy. You've got to hear me. The reason hypocrisy is so prevalent in church is because perfection is required and mercy is absent. The reason we can grow in ecclesia is because perfection is Christ's and, and, and mercy is abundant. In other words, I can be honest with you about what I'm going through. And you can be honest with me about what you're going through. And we can be honest with each other about what we're going through because we all have been boneheads who went the wrong direction and were saved by the mercy of God. And all the boneheads said, amen, right? It's, there's an environment. If all we have is the traditions and the rules and the laws, then those who break the traditions and the rules and the laws are out. But everybody's breaking the laws and everybody's breaking the traditions. So the only way to stay in is to fake it till you make it, but we never get past faking it. We don't know the Bible. We don't know our neighbor. We, we do one thing in private, one thing in public. We do, we do one thing in church. We do one thing at home. The hypocrisy of the church is the number one reason unbelievers scoff at the name of Christ. So let's just stop faking like we're better than we are. Well, what will people think? 
I don't give a flying furry rat's rear end. Because people, I, listen, I want to serve every man and every woman before I die. But I only have one master. And he is enthroned at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for me. Where there is a, an ecclesia, we all recognize the commonality of our need for mercy. And when we receive great mercy, great mercy abides within us to be given at any moment. This is why Paul could say, okay, kid, you ready? Like, isn't it nice that he sent him home so it wasn't like every time there's a knock on the door, he's like, it's the Romans, it's the guards, they're coming to get me. I'm a runaway slave. Like, it's time for you not just to be a, a runaway slave. It's time for you to be a son of a brother of mine. You need to go home and you need to get things right. And because there's an atmosphere of mercy, slaves can confess their sins one to another and be free. Because, oh, because Philemon had been forgiven his slavery to sin, he could forgive the slave that ran away and receive him back as a son. Are you, are you, you seeing this? So where mercy is missing, but it's on Sunday and we're in the place doing the thing, it's probably a church. But where mercy is present, where two or more gather together in his name, it's probably an ecclesia. All right. You're going to find generosity and love. Because God so loved us, we now have the right and responsibility to do for others what he's done for us. John 13, as I have loved you, so you must love each other. John chapter 3, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. This, this environment, if there's, a, if there's a currency that makes everything move, um, you plug something in, electricity goes through stuff, and inanimate things begin to move, right? Your, your robot moves because of the power that comes from a source. Love, love is the currency that makes the body of Christ move. We shouldn't move without love. I, remember the old commercial, American Express card, don't leave home without it? As a believer, we shouldn't wake up without it. We shouldn't go to sleep without love. We shouldn't, not the American Express card. We shouldn't, we shouldn't talk without love. We shouldn't think without love. We shouldn't pray without love. We shouldn't sing without love. We shouldn't eat without love. We shouldn't be next to each other without love. Love is the thing that holds us together. Love compels us to do what we should do. Love constrains us to keep from doing what we shouldn't do. And Paul loved Onesimus enough to be honest with him and send him home. Paul assumes Philemon will be generous in love towards his dear friend. And, and the ecclesia, guys, hear me. One of the things we know it's ecclesia is because there's love here. Now, I don't, some people are not touchy-feely. Some people are. But whether you're touchy-feely or not, the lady that stands at the back door and hugs everybody who comes late to church, she's like a mother to me. She's 43 years old, and she's like a mother to me, Mrs. Mossman. She hugs me every day. She reads scripture to me. You can't walk past that woman's desk without being offered a candy bar. If you're dieting, a slice of apple. She gets my wife iced tea because she knows my wife likes iced tea. We make her sit at the, the front desk and greet people as they come in because she's the friendliest person. Somebody walks in, I need to see the pastor. Oh, sweetie, come here. Give us a hug. You know what I mean? <laughs> she was married to, a, to a, a Flint police officer for a million years, and she wouldn't take crud off of nobody, but she's, she's so sweet the diabetics need extra insulin just to be around her. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm here to tell you something, guys. That, that love, I, I'm going to be like, oh, you know, should she be hugging strangers? You know what? If this isn't a place to be loved, then I don't know what this place is for. This isn't a place to let somebody express love in words or in music or through a hug or a handshake or remembering your name or, or dropping off a castle. If this isn't a place that love should have free reign to be expressed, and I don't know any other place that's better. This is the house of God, and God loved the world, and God is love, 1 John 4, 8. Like, when Paul's like, how do I describe it, 1 John? I, John says, how do I describe God in one word? He goes, God, God is, and he just writes it, love. He's just love. Where the church exists, love can't, because in the church, no one's safe. There's no mercy. I can't be honest. I can't be loved. To be loved is to be utterly vulnerable, to be hurt by the one that I'm loving and allowing myself to be loved by. There has to be trust. 
And I'm telling you, in such a hurt world, such a disappointing world, especially in human relationships, man, if there's a place where people should just walk in and say, I, I don't know about this, I didn't care for the that, but I, you know, but man, I felt loved. I mean, you know, the greatest testimony of the presence of God is people walked out not taught, not impressed, not, not, not depressed or angered or challenged or motivated. If people walk out of this place loved, they have met with God. In the ecclesia, there will be a generosity without fear of love. And I wonder sometimes how much we're missing out on from each other because we're afraid. One of the things we do in the, the class that we teach on Sunday nights, the core and commitment class, it's only week one, so it's not tonight. It's like, oh, I won't go because of that. We have people break up into groups of two. Just find somebody you don't know. And when they do that, so now for, for five minutes, you're going to be a newspaper person interviewing the person across from you. For five minutes, they're going to interview you. And there's always this, oh, sharp stick in my eye. Oh I, oh, I feel like I ate jalapenos, you know, nothing else for three weeks. Oh, it just hurts so bad. It burns, it burns. And the introverts are like, oh, can I throw up here? Where should I throw up? And then 10 minutes later, this is what I always do. And, and I, I'm just going to tell you, because it's going to happen anyway. I say, okay, guys, just land the plane. Go ahead and kind of go back to your group. And I wait for a minute because they keep talking. A minute later, all right, guys, if you could, let's break it up and kind of get back to our group. And I'll let another minute go by. It's usually two to four minutes. And I usually have to say, okay, stop talking. Go back. And I just let them know this is what happened. Somewhere you believe that it was scary to get to know somebody new, but I asked you three times to shut your pie hole and you kept yapping. And what you realize in, in 10 minutes that now has become 13 or 14 is that you really can get to know the people around you in just a short amount of time and care about them. We're not as scary as we, as we think we are. And if you're fully loved, the rejection of man doesn't hurt nearly as much because they're not your master. Amen. Last one's this. There's a selfless generosity. All the arrows go pointing out. They, they gave... They shared, they sold what they had to take care of the needs of the ecclesia, again, those who were called out of to Christ, and the people outside the church who were in need. One of the reasons the church grew so rapidly in the first three centuries where it was still uh, a capital crime against the emperor, so you were, you were um, killed in the most horrific of ways. And one of the reasons the church grew, and, and actually one of the, the Roman emperors writes about this to one of the, the pagan kings. He says, this group, the Christians, they're driving me nuts. We, we have to start taking better care of our people because they're all turning to Christ because when they have needs, they don't come to the state anymore. They go to the church. And they take such better care of the widows and the orphans and the people in need. And, and during times of war, even, even pestilence where the plague hits, everybody else is running out of that town. The Christians are running into that town to care for the dying. He said, I, I, I don't know what to do. We need to start killing them faster because no matter how fast we, we destroy them, they seem to find the worst places and bring the most of their God to that place. And, and the, whole, the whole empire is turning to Christ. Isn't that frightening? What I'm trying to say is this. Because they didn't just wonder how to take more, when they stayed up late at night, they were wondering how to give more. The testimony of Christ was spreading throughout an empire that, where it was illegal to believe in Jesus. And I'm here to tell you something, guys. The ecclesia is an amazing thing. We've had people since we moved come knock on our door, you know, hey, I just did cookies. Hey, here's bagels. It's like I went on a diet the day we moved in. True story. It's some of the best food. It isn't like nobody, here, here's vegetables. No one brings vegetables. So the housewarming gift, you know, here, here's fiber. I, nobody does that. Here, I, I, I saw your new home. Here's some vitamin C. It's like, here's like cookies 
dripped in molasses with chocolate chips and vanilla chips and butterscotch chips and potato chips and any, any other chip you want. It's all coated in here. Here's a pile of a million calories. Just sit on your counter and walk past it eight times a day, you know? And it's great. And I have nibbled because it'd be rude not to. Um, I'm, I'm very polite here. But uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's such a beautiful thing in the Ecclesia where we're actually happy for others who are blessed rather than jealous of them when they are. There's a beautiful thing in Ecclesia where we share in each other's blessings rather than covet. And why did we get that? There, there's, a, there's a beauty in this. Um, it cost Philemon a slave. It cost Anippus a, 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 <laughs> the other guy possibly his life. We don't, we don't know who ended up paying what in the end, but we know that Jesus paid for all of them, and there was this selflessness that went along with it. Listen, selfless generosity, I, I'm just saying it all day, selfless generosity, selfless generosity will change you, and it will change your perspective on everything. Are you still here? How many guys give me, I, literally, I need like two more minutes. Can I have two more minutes? I went over today, but worship was so good, I didn't want to cut it off. Amen? And the sermon is so good. Okay. Yeah. And Mrs. Mossman clapped first. Good. Because she has selfless generosity. Pastor preach all day and people are like, Mrs. Mossman, shut up. Don't do that. I, I, I got to beat the Baptist to mega. Hurry up. in this. Right? You know, when, when you're considering a large purchase like a home, and I, this will probably be the last time I talk about the house. I'm sorry. It's just been such a God. There's theology, there's theriology, and then there's testimony. Does that make sense? It's been such a beautiful testimony for my family. And, and, but as early on, we're, we're weighing it with logic. How many of you know that, that wisdom and faith are good friends? They, they shouldn't compete with each other. But in the absence of supernatural faith, wisdom is, is what should always be, you know, the, 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 the ruling force in our life. We should want to be wise and live wisely, yes? But sometimes God says, get out of the boat in the middle of the lake in the middle of the night. That's faith. But with, when there's no faith, special supernatural faith to do something ridiculous, man, we should be living according to wisdom. Just my thought, right? So I'm asking wise questions, and, and it's like, you know, we've been through recessions. We've been, I lived in Michigan most of my life. I'm 52 years old, been here 23 years. I was here, what, 18 years prior to that. So 40 years of my 52 years I've lived in Michigan. So I know economy. I know that it's up and it's down and layoffs and strikes and walkouts and this and that and interest rates and new presidents and old presidents and everybody's fault and, you know, China and all of our jobs. I've watched it all for years and years. So have you. We are the first to hit a recession. We're the last to get out of recession. That's just welcome to manufacturing. Right? And so I'm asking the question, what's the worst thing that happened? Like, because we've taken huge cuts in pay. The whole staff has during recession because we don't want to lay anybody off because nobody's here is extra. Everybody's here is needed. You know, we'll be a great church. We just don't have a children's ministry. We'll, we'll be a great church. We just don't have a, a youth pastor. It's like, no, we, we need these people. They're not here as because we owed people favors and we had extra money. So we're living by faith. What happens if all of a sudden 50% of it's gone? Our, our pay is going to be greatly reduced. So I, I said, babe, we need to think about this before we jump. Like, maybe we should just move into the love shack just on some little simple, get a Connex, put on a piece of land, get a water and haul in a couple of pigs. And she's, you know, she wasn't interested in that idea so much, um, to her credit. And I said, but what, what if, let's just be wise, what if a great recession hits? And she said, she looked me right in that. And this is her perspective. Wisdom, generosity, supernatural generosity. My wife walks in it. What if the Great Recession hits again? She said, she said, then a lot of people are going to be losing their homes. You're right, Jim. We should buy the biggest house we can afford. I went, that, that wasn't my point. But it was interesting that her perspective as a, as a supernatural, selfless, walking in it naturally giver, in my mind, like, let's be wise. Let's be conservative. Let's, let's you know, do this. 
when, when she said that, God gave me the faith that he'd given to her. And I said, you're right. People will need a place to live. We should, we should probably trust that God is giving. Because I felt like I was giving it to us, but what if? But God's giving it, but what if? I know what God's giving us, but what? I'm blessing you, I, but I don't know that I want that. Bless I, Can I just have a connex on a, on a piece of land, that, you know, drinkable water? And you guys are just like, move it, son, come on. Your wife's got it. It's time for you to follow. <laughs> you know, I'm the head of my home. Yeah. And she's the neck, and she turns you any direction she wants. So just follow, you know. Here's the last question, guys. Is your life, is it marked by generosity? By this, this generosity we're talking about that comes from relationship with the one generous, true God. And I, I, we're over in time. I, respond to this in your own way, will you? Because if you're not, if mercy is rare, and sacrifice financially is rare, generosity of love is rare, and then, then I think what we may find ourselves doing is we're, we're going to a place at a time to do a thing to check a box called church or church. But the invitation for the last month, and this is my last message, the invitation is there's so much more. Responsibility brings blessing. Generosity brings blessing. Being irresponsible, living your life your way, Without love, it, it, it produces the same mess of all humanity. And, and when the church, when believers or, you know, people who say they're believers and have fish on the back of their car live the way the world lives, in the end, it's Jesus that gets the black eye. The number one reason people have a beef with Jesus has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with kirch. It doesn't even have anything to do with ecclesia. Those are the people that bring cookies and forgive people and love generously. It's, it's what Kirch produces and says it belongs to Jesus, but it doesn't produce that. And it doesn't, forgive me, it doesn't belong to Jesus. It doesn't stand on promises of blessing. It, it just fights for its territory until it eventually dies from old age. And then the building gets used as a strip mall or a museum. Stand your feet, please, and make a decision. Stand your feet. Let's make a decision today. Ask yourself the question, is my life marked by this generosity of Ecclesia? You can fake generosity and give, but a lifestyle of giving won't be faked. Here's my money. I'll put it in there. Everybody see what I did? Ha, ha, ha. Aren't I cool? But tomorrow you're not going to give because you gave yesterday. Giving's not an event, it's a lifestyle. Love's not, a, not an event, it's a lifestyle. Worship's not an event, it's a lifestyle. Church is not an event. Sunday's not a destination. When I was a kid, we had Hot Wheels, and you put batteries. Remember the D batteries are about that big around? They ran everything back, your, your stereo, you know, you'd have a D battery, 18 pounds of D batteries. The Hot Wheels had this thing, and, and it, these two rubber wheels spun really fast. And we put your hot wheel in there, it'd shoot it out, and it go do a loop, and they go around and come back and do a loop, and, and it would shoot it out. I, I, I think that the Ecclesia, when we come together, that's what it should be. It's just the power of the Holy Spirit spinning those wheels, so we get some inspiration, we get some healing, we get some motivation, then it shoots us out. We do a loop, we go around, we come back. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Sunday, you know what I'm saying? So this isn't like, I, you know, a good Christian goes at least once a month. And I don't care how often you come, but I, I care about, I'm terrified of ever becoming that, ever becoming a church. Starting a new series, not next week. Next week we're going to have an awesome missions service. One of our own is going to China. We're 
going to hear his story, their story. We're going to take the biggest missions offering in the history of the Freedom Center next week. This side's going to give more than this side. That's what I'm saying. They were more excited. But afterwards, we're going to start a new series that's going to take the nouns of our faith and become the verbs of our actions. So, Father, I pray right now, God. I ask Jesus in this place. Holy Spirit, test us. Are we generous with mercy? Are we generous with love? Are we sacrificial in our giving? Are we even consistent in any of these things? You catch us in a good mood, we'll be kind of loving. Catch us in a bad mood, we'll rip your head off. Catch me when I got plenty, I'll be generous for a moment. Catch me when I have nothing, I don't, there's no faith for generosity. I only give when I have an abundance. God, I, I pray that you would dig deeper into us, the ecclesia, and may we never devolve into something that calls itself of Christ that isn't. Holy Spirit, I pray, change our hearts. Help us to grow faith to faith, glory to glory, and every grace that is available to us. Let us excel in this grace of living a generous life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Altar workers are coming forward. Forgive me for going over. Next week, it's not my problem. We have a missionary. And he'll be, he'll be on time because he respects this house. Um, not that I don't. Never mind. Forget it. Altar workers are coming forward. I'm going to head back to the guest room. We had not had a chance to talk yet. I'd love to hear your story. God bless you. Live long and prosper. Go get them, guys. Live a generous life.